welcome to Making Lemonade with Wet and Kels. On this week's episode, we were talking to Michelle, um, who is amazing. You guys will love her. And she shares um, a little bit about her son who passed away when he was 12 weeks old. And of course, I am dying as she's li- as I'm listening. And I think, oh, she's amazing and so strong. I don't know. What do you think, Wit? Oh, the same. Mm-hmm. She adopted this beautiful little boy. I was like stalking her Instagram while she was talking. <laughs> He's so darling. And I just can't imagine, you know, waking up to your baby that passed away. I, it, anytime I hear a story about SIDS, it just breaks my heart mm-hmm. because as a parent, I think we've all felt that fear at one mm-hmm. time or another, like <gasps> they slept too long. Are they breathing? Mm-hmm. Are they okay? Yeah. You know, even now, like when my kids don't like wake up, I'm like, <gasps> are they okay? Oh, and yeah. they're older, you know, but yeah. I have that fear mm-hmm. of you hear the stories. I so agree. I really enjoyed listening to her tell her story and learning a little bit more about her and her family mm-hmm. and just all the different sides of her journey. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of different, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but just a lot of different areas yeah. that she dived into and we got to learn about. And so, yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, she did so good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we really appreciate her coming on and we really appreciate you guys listening. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here and coming on the podcast to tell your story. Yeah, thank you for having me, ladies. We appreciate it. We know that this isn't the easiest thing to do, but... I don't know. We're proud of all of our guests and we love listening to everyone's story. So thank you. Um, why don't you tell us where your story begins? Yeah. And I, I just appreciate listening to all the stories too. It's so funny how so many stories can be so different, but yet you can connect bits and pieces of your own story to other people's story. And that's, I think the value of what you are both doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I'm in Wisconsin. I've been I was born and raised in Wisconsin. Um, I am my husband is was also born and raised in Wisconsin. I actually went to college in Michigan and thought I would never come back to Wisconsin, but that changed when I met my boyfriend now husband. Um, and so we got married in 2009, and we went into our marriage really not sure if we were going to have kids or not. I knew when I was a teenager that I would not be able to biologically have children. And that was a whole other like grief and loss that I experienced in my life that, you know, I thought I processed through, but really I just kind of shoved it away and, and suppressed it. Um, but so I knew going into marriage and my husband knew that like we would maybe have kids or maybe not, but if we were, we were going to adopt. And so it was not long into marriage that we decided we were going to adopt. Um, and that was actually after I had started watching my nephew full time who had significant special needs and he he, so he needed, like, he was in a wheelchair and he was G-tube fed. So he was, like, fed through a tube and a stomach and things like that. And and it made me just realize, like, how amazing children can be and how much I love caretaking, uh, which was funny because as I grew up, 
you know, knowing that I could have biological children, I told myself and many people that I hated kids or that I didn't want to have kids because, you know, I, I think I was just trying to convince myself that I didn't like them. And so going to college and having a business degree, I never thought I would be watching children, but it just kind of worked out that way. And I'm so thankful for that time that I got to have with my nephew uh, because then that allowed me as well to be able to take care of our children um, full time without having to send them to daycare. And that was something that was important to me that I wanted to like, if we were going to have kids, I wanted to really raise them myself. And so we started the adoption process in 2013, the beginning of 2013. Uh, is when we is when we decided on our agency. I guess we decided that we we started looking into adoption at the end of 2012. But then um, through we had you know um, we had a placement in our home that the mom decided to parent, um, and so that was very difficult for us. Uh, but we knew like you know we wanted to have children, and this unfortunately can be part of the adoption process, and. Then our daughter came into our life um, in March of 2014, and it was one of those situations that you hear about that I feel like you always hear about if you're outside of the adoption world, but when you're inside the adoption world, it never happens this way, where I was actually watching my nephew, and he had a, a little brother at the time, so I was watching both of my nephews, and I got a phone call from a strange number uh, because it wasn't from the agency that was local to us. It was a different agency in the state. And I, for some reason, answered the phone. And it was basically a woman saying, like, this is so-and-so from your agency. And there was a baby girl born yesterday, and you've been chosen to be her parents. You need to leave right away. And oh. I was like, what? <laughs> like, it was, it, it's like one of those just, like, strange stories where our previous situation it was, you know, where we got to, we got to meet the mom and, you know, while she was pregnant and like get to know her and all those types of things. And then this was like the exact opposite where it was like, okay, there's a baby and you've been chosen, like, like drop what you're doing and leave. And so, um, so that was, you know, very emotional and exciting and scary all at the same time about her, her situation was like very easy and everything went very smoothly, which I was very thankful for because we had several not smooth um, situations prior to that. And so, um, so we, you know, went through her finalization and everything in 2014. And we knew going into adoption that we wanted to have more than one child. Uh, and, and that's what I told my husband. I'm like, if we're doing this, we're doing this more than once. I know it's expensive and I know it can take a long time but I don't want to have one child. I want to have multiple children or no children. I was, I'm like an all or nothing type of person. <laughs> um, and so after our daughter turned one, we decided, well, we, we moved because we were in like a two bedroom, 800 square foot condo um, that we needed to move out of. Cause we also had a, a dog too, and we just weren't fitting in there. And so we moved so we could have a home and add another baby to our family. And so it was 
2016 that we, so she was just before she turned two, we got back on the waiting list and, you know, we had to, you know, redo a home study and do all of the education and all that kind of stuff that you have to go through for adoption. And we got back on the waiting list in 2016, knowing that typically for a second child, it takes a little bit longer um, just because oftentimes um, when birth mothers are choosing, they like to give families their first child, which makes sense. And so we knew going into it that it would take a while. And so it was 2016, we did that. And then uh, 2017, the beginning of 2017 came. And so we were on the waiting list for a year and we, you know, we renewed our home study in 2017 and then the beginning of 2018. So it was like February of 2018, we renewed again. But at that time we decided, my husband and I decided, you know, this is going to be our last time we renew. Like we're not going to renew for a third time, which would be four years. Like we're going to do this and we're not going to renew again because we don't want to just keep waiting because waiting is really an emotional time because there's situations that come along and why do, why didn't we get picked this time? Um, this situation seemed like, you know, that like this was perfect. And the, the family we were kind of hoping to, to be. And so when you're not getting picked, it, it's very emotional and difficult, especially when you're raising a child and talking about them being a sister and having, you know, having siblings as well. And so we, uh, in Jan- or July of 2018 then, so it was about two and a half years after we were on the list, we got a call that a birth mom wanted to meet with us. And we met with her once and it was actually like, we, we actually had to delay vacation so we could go meet with her. And so we met with her and then left for vacation right after we met with her. And then on our vacation, we got the phone call saying that she chose us to be her child's parents. And so we were super excited and she was supposed to be due in early August. And this was mid July. And so we enjoyed our vacation with this like excitement and hope of, you know, having our, a son because we knew it was a boy um, having a son join our family. And so we got back from vacation and two days after we got back from vacation, we got a phone call that um, she was in labor and that he was going to be born that day. And so my husband had to leave work and I had to um, call parents because I was also, so at this time I was doing in-home daycare Um because I had stopped watching my sister's kids. And so I kind of maybe should go back a little bit. Um, So my sister's son in 2016, while we were on the adoption waiting list, um, my sister's son actually died, unfortunately. And that was a, a grief that I had never felt before. And I really felt this like loss of my identity kind of like I did when I was a teenager, uh, because not only did I lose this person that I was with basically every day, but then I lost my job too, because I was his primary caretaker. And so that was May of 2016. Um, and so I'm bringing that up because it's going to make more sense as this story continues. Um, 
but so so I start after so after I stopped watching my sister's kids, I didn't know what I was going to do, and um, I decided, all right, I'm going to do in-home daycare because. I got good at taking care of kids and I wanted to continue to raise my children. And so it was nice to bring in a little bit of money and also be able to raise my kids. So fast forward back to July 23rd of 2018. And so I had to call my daycare families and my husband had to leave work, even though we were just off of work for a week and drive to the hospital that was about two hours away um, to go meet him and meet his birth mom. And so we got to the hospital and she was doing all right. And he was doing all right, but he needed to go to the NICU because he was a little bit early. He was about 36 weeks, um, but seemed mostly healthy and everything like not major concerns, but he just, they wanted him to be there for monitoring and things like that. And so, um, so we got to meet her and then go meet him. And it was, you know, the interesting thing about meeting him was when we met Abigail, when she was born, there was just like this overwhelming, um, like feeling of emotions. And like, she, I, I like instantly connected with her and with James. And I don't know, part of that was being in the NICU is I didn't connect with him right away because I didn't get to hold him right away. And we didn't get to have that, that like, physical connection but it didn't take long for us to start connecting because you know and being in the NICU then and us being a couple hours from home there's no place else for us to be besides in the hospital so we were in the hospital and we were lucky that we actually got to they had a room open so we got to stay in the hospital one night and then we were lucky enough that my sister had family um where we were at. And so we were actually able to stay with them during our time there. Um, and so James was in the NICU for a couple of weeks. Well, no, a few days. And then my husband decided he was going to go back to work and go see our daughter because she wasn't able to be there yet. And, and there's a whole weird dynamic that we never thought about with adoption and being in the NICU that, you know, technically we're not his parents and technically she wasn't his sister. And so with regulations about people who were allowed to be in the NICU, um, there was lots of hoops we had to jump through to get her even to be able to come visit him. Um, but so, so my husband went, was kind of driving back and forth where he would come home for like two to three days to work, be with our daughter and then drive back to the hospital and be with me and James for a couple of days and go back and forth. And so it was about seven days into about a week um, into him being in the NICU where they were just like, okay, he's not quite progressing. Like we were hoping for him to be progressing. Um, he basically, his main issue was he wasn't taking the bottle like he should. So he had an NG tube, which is a feeding tube through the mouth army through the nose. And so he would take part of his feeding through the bottle and part through the NG tube. And it wasn't a huge concern because, you know, the, the doctors and nurses and the, the, what was she, I think a physical therapist or the occupational therapist said, you know, like sometimes babies just take a little while and they'll eventually, you know, 
start just eating and it just kind of happens. Um, but it wasn't happening and it was taking a little bit longer than normal. So they said, you know, we're just going to do a head ultrasound and just see if there's anything we notice that might be, you know, hindering him from progressing. And they did that and everything came back normal. So we're, they were just like, okay, well, you know, we're just going to maybe tomorrow will be the day. Um, and so then they waited another, I think it was about two days where they said, you know, maybe we'll do an MRI and really like see Get, get in there and really see a little bit more because with an ultrasound, you're limited to what you can see. So I said, okay, like let's do the MRI and let's just rule things out because that's what they were basically trying to do is like, let's rule things out. And so they did an MRI and I went for a walk that day. And I, as I had been doing, like I really got into a rhythm being in the NICU where I would get there before I ate breakfast and help him with his first feeding. And then after I got him settled back down, I would go eat in the cafeteria. I would go for a walk outside because thankfully it was July in Wisconsin and not any time, any of, of the like eight months of the year that it's basically winter here um, to keep my sanity, to keep my mental health, to keep my body moving. And then I would go and be with him for a while. And then I would eat lunch and like take my little breaks. And so while he was in his MRI, I took one of my breaks and went for a walk and and I sat on a bench and, and a butterfly landed next to me and it, like gave me this like feeling of hope. Like, yeah, you know, like it's, it's all going to work out. And like, I, I felt like that was like a little like message from God that like, it's all going to work out. Um, so I got back to the room and they said, you know, it could take several hours. So we might not know till the next day if anything is going on. And it was like a couple hours after I got back to, um, the NICU where the doctor came in and I felt like, you know, when the doctor comes in, you know, it's not usually good. And so he, he told me, so he has a brain injury and he started describing the brain injury. And as he was describing it, it was like this strange feeling of like, I was extremely sad and I was like almost laughing at the same time because although the circumstances were completely different. The, um, how they were describing what, what his life might turn out to be sounded so similar to my nephew where they said he, you know, he may not be able to eat. He may learn to eat in the future. He may be able to walk, but he may not be able to walk. We don't know if he'll be able to talk. Um, we don't know how his sight will be. And these were all things that with my nephew were like, he could, see partially but not fully he could hear partially but not fully he was never able to walk and I was just like I was and, and what was so the this strange feeling that came over me was through the adoption process uh, one of the things we decided was that we did not want to adopt a special needs child because we know how hard that can be um but then this happened and it was like okay God had different plans for us. And so we talked to the agency and I called my husband. So my husband was not at the hospital at the time. He was back at home. So I called my husband and told him we had called the, the agency and the agency actually gave us the opportunity to step away and say, you know, because they knew our situation with my nephew and how hard that taking on this child could be. And, um, but it was at that point, it was, you know, as hard it was, was for me to 
feel connected with him immediately like I did with our daughter. We had been with each other for 10 days at the time and, you know, really build, building a strong bond and strong connection. And my, my husband knew that too. And, and he had built a strong bond with him as well. And so, you know, we said, you know, he's, you know, there was a reason he was put into our life. And so we said, you know, he's ours and, and we can take care of him. And we've been uniquely equipped, equipped to take care of him. Um, and so it was just like one of those moments where it just, everything as, as horrible as it felt, it also felt there was something so right that mm-hmm. it felt. That's what I was thinking um, as you were speaking. I thought as hard and as crazy as that is, like, I bet all the pieces kind of started falling into place, you know, and looking back yeah. with your nephew and your sister and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it felt like we were the right family, not only like me personally, but you know, my family really rallied around my sister and, and, and her son. And like, we have a really supportive family. We're very lucky in that. And my family is not afraid to take care of kids with all these medical special needs and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so we eventually got him transferred to a children's hospital because he had to have a G tube, which was the same that my nephew had to have. And one of the funny things about that surgery was, you know, after they have to make sure that you are comfortable as the parents to take care of the G tube and, and detach it and, and reattach it. And the nurses were like, wow, you're really good at that. I'm like, I know I did this for five years of my <laughs> life. Like literally I did everything that you're teaching me. I'm, I've done this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to get him home. He spent overall about two weeks in the hospital um, after, you know, through his stay before we found out and then through his transfer and his surgery and things like that. Um, but after his surgery, it was pretty a quick um, out of the hospital. And so, you know, we started with, you know, lots of different therapies. Um, we had uh, physical therapy in our home. And then we went to speech therapy, which was for feeding. And eventually we would have occupational therapy. And then we had like post-op appointments. And so anyone who has had a special needs child knows like there's a lot of appointments. Um, And, but we like, again, it was like, we were okay with that. It's like, we could figure it out, even though, you know, long drives and things like that. Um, And we had like a, you know, we got ourselves in like this system of, I would, my husband would stay up late with him and I would wake up early because my husband is a night person and I'm a morning person. And so we kept just on this rhythm and I had a weekend where I had a business trip that I went on because I was doing some stuff on the side along with doing my daycare. And I got home late, like I was gone all day on a Saturday and I got home and, um, and so my husband was like, you know, I'll, I'll take care of him extra tonight. Like if you need to sleep a little extra, that's fine. And, at, you know, and at the time too, with doing all the different therapies, we were really with our physical therapist and occupational therapist, we were balancing cause he wasn't sleeping very well at the time. Um, and so we were balancing, okay, if, if he's sleeping well and he's supposed to be eating, as long as you can catch up with his feeding schedule, 
then, um, you know, let him sleep because sleeping is good for the brain, just like getting his calories in. Because again, with like the brain injury, it was all about focusing on his brain. So sleep is important for brain development and, you know, calories is, are important for brain development. And so making sure he had enough food and making sure he got enough sleep. And so it was rare that he slept more than a couple hours at a time, even through the night. Like usually he would sleep for like maybe an hour or so. And we would, my husband and I would just take turns with who was getting up. And, and one night he, we had had a couple nights here and there where I would wake up at like 3:45 in the morning and be like, Oh my gosh, he, you know, he slept for two and a half hours and I can go get his bottle ready. And that's great. Instead of me waking up to him crying and screaming at two 30 in the morning and then me rocking him back to sleep for him to fall asleep for about 45 minutes before it was time to feed him again. And so we, the, we, so I went to bed that night after, you know, a long day and, and was sleeping well. And, and my husband was taking care of him and, and I woke up and I was just like, I felt so good. I, I had gotten like four full hours of sleep, which at the time it was like, I was getting basically one and a half to two hours of sleep at a time. And so four full hours without interruption was just like, I felt amazing. <laughs> and I was so excited that James slept through the night, like slept for that long. And, and unfortunately, you know, I got up and he wasn't breathing and, you know, my husband woke up and I, he called 911. I started doing CPR and it was just like, it went from like complete excitement to like horror. And, you know, it was doing CPR on an infant is something I never thought I would do, but we had to, we had to first be CPR certified for adoption, but then having a child in the NICU, you have to do CPR on an infant in the the NICU for them to allow you to take your child home. And I'm so thankful that they did that um, because I was able to do that. And it's like one of those situations where you don't know what you're going to do in that situation. My husband like froze and I like went into action and, you know, I mean, it worked out perfectly because I was just like, you call 911 and he called 911 and I just started doing CPR. And we're very lucky that even though we live in a small town, we have an amazing hospital very close by, like within five minutes of our house. But we had, I mean, we had a first responder at our house within five minutes of calling and then they started CPR. Um, but I, so they started CPR, the, the ambulance came and they were getting in the, getting him in the ambulance because they had gotten like a faint heartbeat or something. And, and I couldn't go in the back with him, but they said I could ride in the front. And I remember they, like, I was like getting changed sort of in the house and like ran outside and they said to just wait on the driveway. And I remember like this moment, just crouched down on my driveway at like four o'clock in the morning. So it's basically still dark out and just like praying to God, like, this, like, make this miracle happen. I know you make miracles happen. And I know that you, this boy is in our life for a bigger reason. And it's not for him to die. Like you put this, like, we are so equipped to take care of him. You're not going to take him away. Like bring him back to us. And like, I was so sure 
that there was this miracle that was going to happen. And, you know, so we got to the hospital, I got to the hospital with him and, um, and they were just working on him. And I've never seen so many doctors work on such a small person before. And there was just this moment that they were all working on him. And the doctor came over to me. I don't, I don't know how long they were working on him. You know, part of it felt like forever. And part of it felt like it was no time at all. And when the doctor came over to me, I just like knew he was going to say like, there's not much more they could do. And so I, you know, even without my husband there, I just said, just stop. Like as much as I wanted him to be here, I also like just wanted to hold him and like wanted everyone to just stop touching him. And so I asked them to stop. And by then, um, my husband and daughter were at the hospital. So my husband woke up my daughter and brought her to the hospital. And they wrapped him in a warm blanket and we got to hold him and spend time with him. Um, and then, you know, and then the, like, I don't want to say the hard stuff. I mean, it was all hard, but then it's like, then we had to talk to the police officers. So we had to bring the police officers back to our house and they had to take pictures of things. And these like things that you don't even think about where it's like, you know, luckily, you know, the police officers were great, but you know, at the same time, just when they're asking you questions where you're just like, I don't want to answer these, it's feeling like these stupid questions right now. Like my son just died. Can you just leave me alone? But, you know, they're just doing their jobs too. Um, and yeah. And then it's like, then we come back home and you're just like, what the hell just happened? Like, you're just like at home and don't even know what to do. Um, and, you know, it was confusing for our daughter. She was four and a half at the time. Um, so this was, I guess, so this was October of 2018. So he was about 12 weeks old when this happened. And, you know, and people often ask like, oh, well, was he, you know, was, was his diagnosis, did, was, did that contribute to him, you know, his death? And the answer is no, like he wasn't supposed to just die like that. Like the, the doctors would have, I think, told us um, if, you know, we, we knew that his outcome, you know, was probably not a long life, but it wasn't, he wasn't supposed to die at 12 weeks old. Um, and so, yeah, so then we get home and it's just, you know, just shock. And I, one of the hardest phone calls I had to make was to his first mom because, you know, she loved him very much and she had to go through losing him twice. And that was really hard because she picked us to take care of him and, and not for him to die. And so like, it's like, I felt like not only did we lose our son, but we failed this person that like entrusted her son's life into ours. And like, we, we had an open adoption arrangement. We were, we were actually supposed to be meeting with her 
the very next week um, to just get together. And so that whole dynamic was so difficult as well, like managing my, my grief and like her grief and like all of those different dynamics as well. Um, and again, a unique situation that unfortunately and fortunately at the same time is, you know, my sister was like, this is what you do. Like my sister knew how to plan a funeral for her child. And she said, you know, go to this funeral home. They really took care of us. Um, you may want to do this. You may not want to do that. You know, and it was comforting to know that she knew what we were going through, but it was also like devastating for our family to lose another child. Oh, I'm just heartbroken for you. Ding it. As you were saying that you got home and you just thought, what in the hell happened? Me and Whitney are both over here yeah. nodding our heads. Like, I wish you were here. I wish we could see each other face to face throughout this conversation. It's just, and I know there's no words, but I just want to tell you, I'm yeah. so sorry. Like I'm listening to you and I feel that heartbreak, you know, like your chest hurts. I'm listening to you going through this again, you know, and I don't know. Um, it's just, there's no words and it sucks. And I mean, I'm grateful you had the support system you had and, the sister that you had that could help you, but yeah. I can't, I can't imagine, like you said, calling, making that hard phone call. And I don't know all, all the things, right. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so I felt like that was kind of a long story about how everything kind of happened. That was not a long um, story. It was, great. yes, <laughs> no, yes. Uh, yeah. How, how did the birth mom take it? I mean, it was it was very very hard for her, and so you know we we had the option for her to um, you know she she was very clear that you know it was he was our son, and that like we we were. Take, like we had, um, we can make all decisions. Like from when he was born until then, obviously, when he died, um, we didn't technically have like he, the adoption. You know, for a finalization for an adoption, typically takes six months or longer. Um, but at the time, she had um, terminated her parental rights, so it was actually the agency that had guardianship over him at the time. Um, but she really wanted us to, you know, be in charge of all of his arrangements. Um, and, you know, we, and the funeral home was very supportive and everything. And we, we had a time that was set up where she could come, where no one would be there and she could come see him and, you know, and she was supposed to come see him and, you know, and, and it was, and it was like the day of the funeral and it was, you know, a few hours prior that she could come and see him, um, without anyone being there, without anyone seeing her, if she didn't want anyone to see her like that. 
that she could come and have private time with him. And, or if she wanted to come to the funeral with everyone else, she could. And, you know, I, I thought she was going to come. She said she was going to come and she didn't, or, or maybe she did, but she just couldn't get herself to come in. You know, those are things that, that I don't know and I will never know. And, and it doesn't really matter. You know, she had to process again, something that I, I don't know. Like, I don't, I didn't have to experience what she had to experience. Um, and so, um, but at, at some point in that day, I had to just turn my phone off and say, if she wants to come, she'll come. And I have to stop waiting for her text saying that she's here because she may not come. And she didn't. And, and it was hard for me, but I know again, like she, you know, she could only do what she needed to do. Um, and so, yeah, so we had the funeral and, um, and later we decided, so, and we had him cremated and we later decided to bury him. And well, we were actually able to name him, uh, his first name, his middle name was his, his, um, like paternal or his, his maternal grandfather. So, so his birth mom's dad was his middle name. And so we got to, and his first name was my husband's, uh, my, my father-in-law's name who had died in 2013. And, um, so he had a really special name. And so we were actually able to bury him by his dad, which was really special, um, being that they had the same name and they actually had the same initials as well. Um, and that just, you know, that was something that, that just felt right that we were able to decide on a few weeks later, whether we were going to do a burial or not. Um, but so he is, you know, there. Um, but then, so then, you know, with child loss, um, especially with the loss of a, a young child, you know, many questions that, you know, us as parents, but then obviously people asking that, you know, know that they probably shouldn't be asking these questions, but people are curious of like, Oh, are you going to adopt again? Like, or are you going to have more children? And, and, you know, that was a question that my husband and I went back and forth on, um, a lot because, you know, um, because we had decided when we had renewed our home study before that we were not going to renew our home study again. And, but now we're in a whole different situation that we didn't think we would be in. And so again, so he died in October of 2018. And then by February of 2019, we had to make the decision. Do we want to renew our home study again, or do we want to let it expire? And we could have renewed it and still like taken more time to decide. Like our, our agency said, like you can renew your home study, but not be actively on the waiting list either. Like take all the time you need to decide like that. You don't need to make that decision now. Um, or, you know, we could let it expire. And then if we decided we wanted to adopt again, we would have to go through everything, you know, the education, a brand new home study, like all of these things um, we would have to redo. But it just felt like we wanted to make that decision. We didn't want that lingering for so long of whether we would adopt again or not. And for me, I was wanting to adopt again. 
I told my husband, like, you know, again, like we, we talked about wanting to raise more than one child. Like I, I said, I know we do have more than one child, but I also want to raise more than one child. And it's not fair to Abigail because she was an amazing big sister. Like being four years old, she was the best helper. Um, you know, anyone with special needs children that have other children, you know, those other children, they get neglected because of the, all the extra support, right? Like, so, so those children can feel neglected often because of the extra support that a special needs child requires. And she never, you know, she never felt that she loved taking care of him. She loved help feeding him and all of these things. And just like seeing that bond between her and James was just like, so beautiful. And I loved seeing her as a big sister. It just was like, felt so right. Um, but my husband was just like, I don't think I would ever sleep again. Um, I wouldn't ever be able to sleep again. And I said, I don't think I would ever be able to sleep again, but I'm willing to take that risk. Uh, I'm willing to lose sleep for however long I have to lose sleep for. Um, but he just wasn't ready. And he, you know, and he gave other, you know, reasons of like, well, we're getting older and I don't want to be an older parent. Um, his parents were older, um, when they had him, he has four other siblings that, um, the next closest sibling to him is eight years older than him. And then the rest are all within like six or seven years of each other. And so he was like the baby, but then like further away. And so his parents were older when they had him. And he was like, I don't want to be an older parent, which, you know, I, I refuted that with like, you realize like most of, he's a couple years older than me. And I said, well, most of my friends are just having their first children right now. Like we're not that old, like we're in our mid thirties and he was in his upper thirties at the time. So it's like, that's not that old to be having children. And I, what, what I really came to realize is that to him, it really wasn't about that. That was just an excuse. And that, you know, I had to realize that he has been hurt many times. I haven't lost a parent, you know, and, and although we both lost a child, you know, that child was named after his dad. And I think that hurt just like hurt him more, um, that he was just like, I just don't want to go through that any more heartbreak because again, being on the adoption waiting list too is an emotional, emotional roller coaster. There are no guarantees with adoption that you can have a baby in your home and, and have them placed back with their, their birth family and things like that. And I, so we got to a point where we finally decided that we were not going to renew our home study, that our family was going to be as is. And I did not like that. It was, I, I agreed with it because I knew I didn't want to push my husband and that I, I got to this point of knowing that right now I need to focus on my family and not like focus on this like dream that I had in my head of what my family should look like. That if, if that dream, that the dream of what I wanted for my family cannot be more important than the people that are in front of me right now. This like this fantasy of, of other children 
cannot be more important of the reality of the people in my life. And I didn't want to alienate my husband in that way. And so, um, so when that happened, I, that was when I really started losing this sense of identity again of who I really was because not only, you know, I was still a mom and I still felt like a mom because we had our living daughter, but it just was different, especially again, being a special needs mom where it's like your life revolved around that child so much that it's like all of a sudden I have all of this time and I was still doing part-time in-home daycare um, at the time, which I'm so thankful for because those kids really filled me up and I'm so thankful for those kids. And I'm also thankful that um, because they were all in school part-time, I had time to just like be at home and cry for three hours on the couch and not have to get up and move. Um, But that they gave me that like, okay, I need to get up and move now to go pick them up from school but I still, I lost this like sense of who I was. And, and I knew in my heart that like daycare is not who I was meant to be. A daycare provider isn't who I was meant to be. Um, it was just something that was meant for a season of my life of me being able to raise my kids. And so, and, and to like my daughter and I, our relationship just was torn apart. Her and I would get in terrible screaming matches and like I became this like ugly ugly person that I did not like I mean just even thinking about that time like I would get in such terrible screaming matches with her that I would lose my voice and this was like a five-year-old child that I was screaming at but it was like we were both so hurt you know we both had so much anger and just that that overwhelming grief was just like taking over our lives and so I got to this point where I I told my husband, I'm like, I need to see a therapist. And I think her daughter needs to see a therapist. And if you want to see a therapist, I think that would be a great idea. So I found a therapist and we found a therapist for our daughter. My husband was like, no, I don't want to see a therapist, which I kind of knew he was going to say no to, but I just wanted to give him permission that it was okay for him to see a therapist. But luckily because of our daughter's age, Um, the therapist that we went to see, we actually all went in together. Um, and we did like child parent, um, psychologist, I think it's called CPP where it was like, and it was like kind of a a play therapy where we would talk about something in the session and do around playing. And then it would be something that we could take home and do at home with her as well. And that was so beneficial for us. It was basically like family therapy for us. Um, and so that was a big turning point for me is like knowing that I, I got to this point where I accepted that my son was no longer here. I accepted the fact that this was my family, but I didn't want to accept it. Like I got to this point of knowing I needed to accept it, but I didn't want to accept it. And that was like that moment where I said, okay, because I know I need to accept it, but I don't want to, and I'm fighting this tooth and nail, that I need someone to help me through this. And that's when we, like, that's when I was like, okay, we need to see a therapist or something. Like, we need to do something because this is just, I don't, I don't want to be this person anymore. Um, so we started seeing a therapist and it was very helpful. Um, my therapist, I, it was nice to have a therapist. I didn't really connect with my therapist and 
there was a situation, well, not a situation, but like when I went to go see her the first time, anyone who's gone to see a therapist, I'm sure has had to do the same thing where you have to like fill out a form and like all of these questions. And, you know, of course it was like, Oh, do you question living and like these things? And it's like, well, yeah, I question all of these things now. And, and even though I was never, I never saw myself as having suicidal thoughts, but you know, those questions come up of like, Oh, would I rather be, you know, with my son or would I rather be here? Um, but something that really rubbed me the wrong way when I saw my therapist for the first time is like within the first five minutes of meeting me, she asked me if I wanted to get on an antidepressant and I just, you know, I, and I think there's a time and place for antidepressants and antidepressants can save lives. Like they are, they are life saving medications. And at the same time, I feel like, the reason I went to see a therapist was because I wanted to try something else before I had to get on an antidepressant. Um, and I felt like that was the option she was giving me. And and for me, I was like, well, aren't you supposed to help me? So I don't have to get on an antidepressant. Um, so that rubbed me the wrong way, but I, I kind of just let it go because it was just felt nice to have someone to talk to. Um, so I did continue to see her for a few months Um, but then after a few months, I just stopped seeing her. And because we were also seeing a therapist as a family with our daughter, um, we just kind of stuck with her. And, and, you know, I mean, when we started seeing, it was like, I was going to therapist once a month and we were going to see a therapist two to three times a month with our daughter and driving, you know, 30 minutes there, 30 minutes back for an hour. Like it was like two and a half hours at a time. So it's like very expensive, you know, lots of time and all that kind of stuff. So it was like, okay, I'm not going to. I'm going to focus on what feels like it's helping me and just let go of the other therapist and maybe find another therapist for myself at some time. Um, But what also really helped me when during that time of finding a therapist was um, running really helped me and movement really helped me. Um, I, you know, because I started feeling depression. Like I definitely went through depression. I had PTSD. I had anxiety, all of these things that like, I never thought I would ever experience in my life. And I know I was listening to one of your guys' episodes and one of you mentioned about like being like always being this like positive outgoing person, um, you know, love to be around people. Like that was me. Like I was always someone who was like, Oh, I can figure anything out. Um, I like, I would never stay negative about something for very long. And I just thought that, you know, that you could talk your way out of sadness and depression is like a whole nother beast that I never thought I would experience. And I could not read enough quotes. I could not like hear enough inspirational stuff that was going to help me peel myself out of bed. Like I just was so depressed and it was a place I never thought I could be but there I was. And so I decided to sign up for a 10 K and this happened because my husband actually decided to sign up for a 5 K run. And in the years prior, I had been running five Ks. I actually started running because of my nephew that had died a few years prior because he loved being pushed in his running and a runner. Um, a running chair and running in races. Like that's when he was most alive. And so I finally, um, even though I always had hated running in the past, I started running because I wanted to push my nephew in a race. 
Unfortunately, I started running too late and he died before I could push him in a race, but I still kept running after he died. And it became a place of a, a time for me to connect spiritually, connect with myself and just like move through my emotions. And so when my husband signed up for a 5k, I was like, Oh, you know, I should really set up for a 5k because, you know, then I'm going to have to run. I'm going to have to get out of bed and move my body. I'm going to have to eat better. Uh, because in the past when I had run some 10Ks, you know, I would get like shin splints or, or like little nagging injuries here and there. And if I wasn't focused on nutrition and doing proper training, those nagging injuries would get worse. And then it would be really hard for me to run the race. And the two 10Ks I had run prior were actually very difficult for me. I didn't fully enjoy them, but they were enough to make me feel like I want to do this again. And so I got to this point at where I was like, okay, do I do a 5k or a 10k? And I'm so thankful that I decided to sign up for this 10k because it made me really realize that I needed something in my life that when I was going to get out of bed and I didn't want to get out of bed anymore, that there was something that I needed to get out of bed for. So moving from this place of like, Oh, I want to feel healthy. Oh, I want to not be depressed. Oh, I want to go for a run. But that wasn't enough for me. Like wanting things was not enough because it was like, I would want it. And then the very next moment I'd be like, yeah, I don't care. I don't care about life. Like, I don't care how much I'm eating. I don't care how much I'm moving. But so signing up for that 10 K, I knew I would like need to do certain things in order to feel good running the 10 K. And and I actually like recorded this video of myself where I was just like in this like raw moment um, because at the time I was doing like a, a monthly newsletter because I was someone who liked to inspire people. Um, and I was getting back into doing that. And I just recorded this video of me just in this raw place of like saying how being motivated is so overrated and how I was so sick of people trying to motivate me um, to get me out of bed because motivation isn't enough to get you out of bed when you're depressed. And really motivation isn't enough to really keep going for most people. Motivation is, is something that comes and goes so easily that it's not going to really help you move the needle forward enough um, to help you really move and grow in your life and really transform your life. And I, I, and for some reason, like I realized that in that moment of signing up for that 10 K that I need, like I, I need something in my life that I need to do, not that I want to do, because I know if I'm just doing something because I want to, I'm not going to do it. And so that signing up for that 10 K and having to train for that was a really big turning point for me in my journey and my healing process, because it made me, it, it helped me to eat better. That doesn't mean I didn't still binge eat every once in a while. It didn't mean that I was eating perfectly. It didn't mean that I I still was skipping running and I was still skipping workouts, but I wasn't skipping them as often as I was before when I was trying to get back into my regular routine of getting up in the morning. And so I'm so thankful for signing up for that 10 K and I actually ended up running it and it was the fastest I've ever run and the best I've ever felt running a race. And it was seven months after my son died and I just like, I felt so good running that race. And it didn't mean like all of a sudden, poof, I was like magically better, but it was just something that really put me on a trajectory of healing and growth and transformation 
um, that really just pushed me to that, that next level of growth in my, my journey on, on growing. I'm so glad you found that and realized that running was a good outlet for you and your mental health, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah, I think therapy is so good and works for a lot of people. And I think people find a good form of therapy and exercise also. Mm-hmm. So There's so many different forms. Yeah. And as you're talking, I can like yeah. hear, like I can see your mental shift, but I can hear it. Yeah. I can hear from the time you talked about like, you know, going through all the feelings and all the negative feelings and like not knowing what to do. And then like hearing your, like your mental shift into I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. Yeah, a reason to get out of bed Mm -hmm. in the morning. Um, Tell us kind of some ways that you guys honored James. Yeah, so um, there's many ways that we honor him. So, I mean, something we love to do around Christmas time is we have something that's called a caring tree here. So it's like, um, you know, buying gifts for families um, that, that, you know, can't buy gifts for their children. And so we that's something that's really fun It's because it involves our daughter too. And a lot of what we try and do with James, we also like to involve her, especially as she gets older and for her to actually help make some of the decisions. Um, because something that I started to become aware of and that I didn't want to happen is I didn't want her to think that all we ever think about is James and that like, that she's not important too. And so, um, the, the caring tree thing is like, we try to, we find a child that's around her age. That's maybe a girl that would maybe like something that she likes. And then we find uh, something, a child that's maybe around James's age, like what age he would be. Um, and maybe something that he, we would think he would like. And that's really, especially as you know, so he would be three and a half, almost, he would be turning four this year. And so, especially this last year, buying that gift was really like, you know, a full range of emotions, but it was like kind of fun to think about like, oh, I wonder if James would like this toy that we're buying for this child. Would he have had a toy like this? Uh, And so in that part, it's really fun. Um, We also, um, you know, we've done different things for his birthday in some years. We've just like done something with just ourselves, but last year was the Olympics. And opening ceremonies were on his birthday and I'm like we need to throw an Olympics birthday party um and so we did and just like decided to have fun with it and and you know we we roast something we've done for his birthday every year now is we roast s'mores instead of doing a birthday cake we don't sing happy birthday um but we just like have a treat for him and so it was really fun because it was really more about just having fun and like I, I did outdoor fun games that you would have for a kid's birthday party and things like that. And, and so I think like keeping him alive in that way and, and that like we can do fun things and think about James and it doesn't have to be like sad things all the time. Um, we can really like experience fun and, and actually last year, especially like as we were like, you know, coming out of the pandemic in the summer, a little bit, it was like, I said to my husband, like, we need to just do things again, because something that I was so thankful for that we did when James was alive. And again, I'm thankful that we had our nephew and my sister to model that for us is like, they never let their, their sons 
disabilities stop them from trying things and doing things. And we felt that same way when James was alive. So even though he was only alive for 12 weeks, we went to the zoo with him. We went to the apple orchard with him. We went to something called the Taste of Madison here, where it was downtown Madison and all like all sorts of restaurants have tents and you can try little bits and pieces of food from all these different restaurants. Like we did all these things, even though we, um, you know, even though he had a feeding tube and all these types of things, like we were able to manage those things around it, around him. And I'm so thankful that we did those things because we had some amazing memories for a child that only lived 12 weeks. We had so many amazing memories. And last year I got to this point where I was like, we need to like honor him by like, let's go do something fun and exciting again. And so we started doing more hikes. There's so many places to hike in, in Wisconsin. Um, and so we started just having more adventure and really focusing on that. So like within our family, we honor him by doing those things and remembering like, Hey, when he was here, we had adventure in our life and focusing on, on that adventure too, because our daughter is very adventurous and she loves trying new things too. And so we honor him in that way as well. Um, and then I, I just, that. you know, I personally honor him through my work that, that I do as well. And so, um, and just like trying to be like that beacon of hope. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, like, like you two both do with this podcast is, is just like sharing stories and, and knowing that there's, there's hope and, and just like spreading that hope to other people that have experienced loss and these really major disruptions in life um, that really, you know, they, they completely throw you off. They completely, I mean, I'm, I'm like completely a different person than I used to be. And, and I'm still a lot of who I used to be, but I'm totally different in some other aspects and knowing that it's okay to like become that new person. Um, and I think that's, that's something beautiful that you two are both doing here with this podcast as well. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We're sure trying. <laughs> I think a lot of people too, like who go through big events, traumatic, I don't know. It does change you. And everyone has yeah. said that when they come on here. And so I don't know, it kind of makes you feel better and it validates you a little bit when you hear other people say, I'm, you know, I've changed a lot and yeah. I'm going through this and I'm a different person. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah. Why don't you tell us kind of um, how you've made lemonade with your lemons? Yeah. Well, so, I mean, what I've found is just really finding joy in the little moments. And um, I ended up, you know, becoming a life coach, like something I never thought I would was planning on doing or anything like that. Like these, these weird synchronicities and like divine timing happen. Um, and through that certification, we did this joy work and really, you know, and, and all things is just like knowing that like joy and grief can coexist and, and that, that like the, the lemonade is the fact that like, we can experience joy and grief at the same time and it's, and it's okay. Or, and it's okay for me to be sad that James is no longer here. And I can also be laughing and joyful at the same time that I get to 
that, that I really get to like deeply experience experiences with my daughter that like, I, I don't take them for granted. I, I take everything. Um, like I just like experience things on a deeper level. And I think that's like the lemonade is that I actually, it, it, it's hard to think like when, for people who are like deep in their grief and like in that survival mode right now, it's hard to think about like, Oh my gosh, I can't even think about experiencing joy right now. But when you can get beyond that like coping stage and beyond that survival stage, I get to experience joy more deeply and more fulfilling than I ever have in my life. And just like something so simple as holding hands with my daughter and walking her to school, like that brings me so much joy. And I don't think I would ever have had that depth of joy in something so simple if it weren't for what I went through. I love that you mm-hmm. said that because I feel the same way. It took me a minute to realize it's okay to feel joy and grief at the same time and to let them coexist. I wouldn't let myself be happy for so long. And it was, I just made my journey harder. Yeah. Well, you know, there's the guilt that comes with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So being able to let that guilt go and mm-hmm. to really enjoy your life and not take for granted those simple things like walking your daughter to school and just know that's just something that's important to you and you don't take for granted is so good. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that you found that. I do. I am too. And I love how you said, remind me how you worded it, but you said that, um, if you're going through, if you're in the first part of it and you're going through it, it's hard to see Mm -hmm. the good. And, um, I love that you brought that up because I hope that somebody listens to this maybe when they're in the thick of it. Cause I remember my cousin, she had lost her daughter, um, a couple of years before I lost Bane and she came to the hospital and she looked at me in the eyes and she says, um, it's not going to hurt as bad in a couple of years. And I remember just looking at her like, you're crazy. Yeah. Like this, I can't imagine this feeling ever going away. Yeah. Like that dark, heavy, Oh, that feeling. And she was right. In a few years, it did get lighter and it didn't yeah. hurt as much. Like you learn to live with it. Right. You learn to move forward. Yeah. But so I love yeah. that you brought that up in your episode because I'm hoping it will just help somebody, you know, yeah. along the way. Totally. Yeah. Well, definitely. thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story with us and telling us about James. And I really just appreciate you being so vulnerable and, you know, letting us into a little snippet of your life. Yes. Thank you both so much. I so appreciate this time and, and for you allowing me to share my story because, you know, I think every time we share our stories, it's just another, you know, layer of healing and growth for each of us too. So thank you so much. You bet. Thank you everyone for listening. for listening to this week's episode make sure to leave us a rate and review wherever you are listening you also email us at making lemonade podcast one at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram at making podcast or facebook at making lemonade with wit and kills you can also find out more about my foundation bane's legacy 
at Facebook and Instagram at Bands Legacy and www.bandslegacy.com. And you can find out more about my foundation. You can find us on social media at TTTuff and our website is tttuff.org.